Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. About 10% of all households in the United States experienced low or very low food security in 2021. That means that according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, about 1 in 10 households has inadequate access to enough food for an active, healthy life. These rates are higher for black households with a food insecurity rate of almost 20%. The rate's about 16% for Hispanic households. Now, we know that access to adequate healthy food is an important precursor for good health. Studies have shown a relationship for adults between food insecurity and higher health spending. But food insecurity is a household phenomenon. It affects everyone in the home. How does household-level food insecurity relate to health spending for the entire household? That's the question we'll discuss in today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Deepak Palakshapa, Associate Professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at Wake Forest School of Medicine. Dr. Palakshapa and co-authors published a paper in the January 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining the relationship between food insecurity and healthcare expenditures in families. They found higher healthcare spending in food insecure households, and this was the case across types of spending and types of insurance. We'll discuss these findings in today's episode. Dr. Pollock Shapa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I appreciate the work you're doing in this area, and for those who don't focus on food, I'm more interested in sort of other aspects of health. Maybe we should just start with the concept of food insecurity. What does that mean? It's sort of a technical term. And uh, given what it means, why would we think it could be related to what uh, families spend on health care? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, food insecurity is defined by the USDA as a limited or uncertain availability of nutritionally adequate and safe foods, or the lack of consistent access to enough foods for a uh, healthy life. Um, and what that basically means is essentially constantly worrying about having enough food at home. I mean, I think that's the that's the main message here. And, and as you said, one in 10 households in the U.S. are food insecure, which still sort of blows my mind that in a country with this much wealth, how is it possible that one in 10 households still struggle to have enough food at home? And that's even worse for households with children, um, as households with children have higher rates of food insecurity than just for the general U.S. households. Now, over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, there's also been this growing research specifically looking at the relationship between food insecurity and healthcare outcomes. And what we see is that food insecurity is associated with poor health across the life course. So from pregnancy to older adults, food insecurity has been associated with worse health, impaired chronic disease management, as well as increased healthcare expenditures. Now the exact why or how food insecurity leads to these sort of worse health outcomes is still sort of a question of debate, but you know, there's, there's certainly several possibilities. I mean, I think the sort of more intuitive idea is this idea around diet and nutrition. So if you're worried about having enough food, if you have a limited food budget, you're often forced to buy sort of cheap, often unhealthy, high-calorie foods that lead to increased weight gain, issues such as diabetes, hypertension, that can all sort of increase your need to seek health care, either um, for medication management or because you need to be hospitalized for some reason. 
But there's some other aspects too around food insecurity that I think we that that aren't so sort of clear or sort of intuitive. Um, and the second thing being kind of just the stress around having enough food. So the constant worry about being able to provide for your family, um, this is particularly an issue for parents and mothers about feeling sort of shame and guilt around being able to provide food for their children. And this sort of stress and shame leads to in increased anxiety, depression, and just worse overall health. And then finally, I think just sort of that sort of constant worry about being able to afford food leads to worries about being able to afford other goods and services, particularly like healthcare. Um, so your people are often forced to sort of decide, like, do I go pay for my preventative healthcare visit or do I pay for the food in the house? And a lot of parents and a lot of adults and in many times make that choice to say, no, I'm going to pay for the food in the house because that's the immediate need and end up delaying seeking sort of preventative care. So many of these sort of health issues that could have been handled as sort of an outpatient basis ultimately ends up getting them admitted to the hospital or in the emergency room because um, they've often waited too late to, to sort of address those things. Well, I really appreciate you uh, describing these various pathways. I think it's sort of easy to say, sure, families that struggle with food probably have bigger uh, health challenges, but but it's quite complex. And um, in that context, your study focused on family spending and all the examples you gave were very sort of family oriented. So can you say a little bit more to me about how this work differed from other work that's been done on food insecurity and health spending? Sure, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, so food insecurity is like a, is a household measure. And so despite um, people in the household's best efforts, all people in the household are potentially negatively impacted by food insecurity. And families try to make difficult decisions and often try to protect individuals in the household, but that that often doesn't work. Um, a great example is parents, uh, parents and guardians. Um, they'll often skip meals, cut the size of their own meals to make sure their, their kids get food. Um, but as studies have sort of shown that despite parents making these sort of sacrifices for their children, the children are often aware of what's going on and know that, that, that the family is struggling to have food. And again, feel the anxiety and stress that comes around not having food. Um, and so everybody in the household is, is at risk of sort of the negative impacts of food insecurity. Prior studies have primarily focused on sort of individual level outcomes, particularly um, several studies recently that have shown that food insecurity is associated with increased individual um, healthcare costs or healthcare expenditures. And that's actually led to, to several sort of health systems and health insurers sort of investing in interventions to try to try to address their, their patients' food insecurity. Um, but me and my colleagues wanted to take a, take a little different look at it and think about it from the family perspective. Um, and adult, although there's these studies looking at individual healthcare expenditures, um, sort of Thinking about the evaluating the relationship between the whole family could sort of provide a better understanding of the financial implications of food insecurity for families overall, as well as could provide a little bit better understanding of how food insecurity interventions 
could potentially reduce overall healthcare costs because sort of any intervention that addressed food insecurity, um, sort of providing food, a lot of things have been focused on medically tailored meals or food prescription programs. Families generally share those resources. It's not a sort of a simple one person gets it and the other person, other people in the household have to sort of just sit back and watch them get these resources. They tend to share it. And so I think this provides sort of a more nuanced idea of how an intervention could reduce the healthcare expenditure costs. Yeah, so this is a really interesting part of studying healthcare in general, is that we have a lot of programs that are individually focused. Eligibility for Medicaid uh, is an individual uh, determination, and you can have people in a household, some of whom are on one program and some of whom are on have one insurance plan, some of whom have a different one. And if we study those all separately, we, we completely miss the dynamics here. So you've tried to break some of those barriers down. Uh, let's talk about the major findings. As a general matter, what did you find about the relationship between food insecurity and healthcare expenditures at the family level? Yes. So we looked at a national uh, national survey data looking at 14,000 or over 14,000 children and adults representing sort of over 6,000 6, distinct families and found that families that were food insecure in 2016 had 20% greater healthcare expenditures in 2017. And that totaled, that estimated to be about $2,500 per family for the year. And, and the time uh, horizon here is really important. You're looking at, you're comparing families that were food insecure with similarly situated families that were not and you're seeing this higher rate of spending, which gives you good reason. It's not a it's not a experiment here, but it gives you good reason to believe that there's a relationship between these two phenomena. Tell me a little bit about the subgroups that you looked at. You looked at, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, great question. And, and again, so we were trying to, again, this is not an exper uh, experimental study. So we tried to look at the data a number of different ways to make sure, you know, our findings sort of held for across different subgroups, um, across different ways that we looked at the data. Um, and so we looked at it a number of different ways. So first, we just looked at, you know, we looked primarily, our primary analysis was looking specifically at the total healthcare expenditures. But we also wanted to look at individual healthcare expenditure types. So inpatient visits, outpatient visits, medications, uh, out-of-pocket costs. And other than out-of-pocket costs across the board, families that were food insecure in 2016 had higher individual healthcare expenditure types. Um, and interesting, medications tended to be the highest one, um, which we're not really sure why, but, um, you know, it's... it's one thing that we found, no matter how we looked at the data, um, and in, no matter which subgroup we looked at. Another way we looked at it is we looked across sort of family characteristics, and the, and the family characteristics we were able to get from the data that we had. So um, race and ethnicity of the primary respondent, um, the household income, um, the region of residence for the family. And similarly, no matter how you looked at the data, those families that were food insecure had higher subsequent healthcare expenditures. You also looked at uh, health insurance, and I think that's a really interesting one because we tend to think of, again, poor people more likely to be food insecure, concentrated in Medicaid, uh, but when it's one out of 10 families, you have folks in all kinds of insurance. I want to hear about some of the differences across insurance status, but we'll have that conversation after we take a short break.
The innovative online Master of Science in Health Policy and Law from UCSF and UC Law San Francisco merges study in health policy and law and makes it possible for you to work while pursuing your degree. Even better, you'll be able to employ your new knowledge to your career in real time. Prepare to lead the future of health. Apply by the March 31st priority deadline to join the fall 2024 class. Learn more at uclawsf.edu forward slash HPL. And we're back. I'm speaking with Deepak Palakshapa about the relationship between food insecurity and family health care expenditures. Before the break, we got a, the top line findings here about the relationship, but we've started discussing some of the subgroup analyses. And one of the interesting dimensions had to do with the type of health insurance people have. So let's pick up right there. Tell us a little bit about how you looked at health insurance coverage and what you found about the relationship between these two phenomena, depending on people, the type of coverage they had. Yeah. So one of the, the sort of sort of interesting things and, um, I guess exciting things is that a lot of health insurers, both public and private, are beginning to invest in interventions or programs to uh, address their enrollees' lack of access to food. Um, they're, they're trying a number of different interventions. And so we specifically wanted to look at that sort of health insurance type for families. And the way we were able, the only way we were able to do it based on the data that we had is that we had to categorize families as having all private insurance, all public insurance, or mixed insurance, uh, which included um, family members having private, public, or uninsured. And again, just like sort of our main findings, those families that reported being food insecure had higher health care expenditures, no matter what the sort of family insurance category was. Um, and I think why that becomes particularly important from a policy standpoint is that you have these insur- you have insurance companies that are beginning to invest in interventions to address food insecurity and other unmet social needs as a way to sort of improve health, mitigate um, avoidable utilization, reduce healthcare expenditures, and and our findings support sort of that promise um, that families that are on the same insurance type because they'll share resources. Even if you target one member of the family, they're likely all potentially going to benefit through better health, maybe reduce healthcare costs. I think it becomes a little bit more complicated for the one in five families that we found that had mixed insurance. Um, you can imagine that a single carrier is going to invest or in an intervention for a particular person in the family, but those resources are going to go to other members of the family, so so that that carrier, that insurer, may not see the full benefits that they had sort of hoped to reach. Um, And that could potentially lead to less investment in in these kind of interventions. I don't think that's really just an academic issue, per se, because, um, as I mentioned, we found one in five families. So this is going to to likely be an issue moving forward from a policy level. Um, And I would even say that it's our one in five families is probably an underestimate um, that it's probably more have mixed insurance. Um, and actually several studies uh, published in health affairs over the last couple of years specifically have looked at how um, working families, low middle income families are starting to move, have their children get public insurance, Medicaid and chip while the parents stay on employer sponsored health insurance because of the higher out of pocket costs. Uh, so you can see this potentially that these investments, while they are exciting, they could lead to some potential problems moving forward. Yeah, your uh, 
you're providing us with a really clear example of the limitations of sort of an individual enrollee by enrollee approach to addressing the so-called social determinants of health, that these are family and community and societal challenges that one insurance company, if it's just trying to make an economic decision, will we save the money on the back end on health costs by making this investment? They're, they're missing a lot of the cost. And in this instance, it looks like they may be missing some of the benefit, and that's going to skew their calculations, might skew what they're willing to pay for. Now, you're a practicing physician, and uh, you mentioned earlier this isn't just academic. I think that's right, but this whole topic isn't just academic to you. Can you give us a little sense of how you see these issues play out in your clinical practice? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I will say overall, I'm really encouraged by by sort of the, the growing interest and investment in thinking about how do we assist patients um, who lack access to food or have these other unmet social needs. Um, I'm a practicing, as you mentioned, I'm a practicing general internist and pediatrician. Um, I got interested in the topic of food insecurity because of my patients. Um, I still distinctly remember as a trainee when one of my patients told me that she couldn't afford both her medications and food. And I just sort of didn't have anything to offer. I didn't really know what to say. Um, and I'm hoping with these sort of growing investments and sort of the increasing um, interest in this, that we are going to be able to have more interventions to assist patients right there at the point of care. Um, but I think what this paper helped, helped me sort of think more broadly about is thinking about it from more of a family standpoint. You know, as physicians, we often get sort of singularly focused on the patient or the problem that's that, that we're sort of dealing with in that clinic visit. But, you know, people aren't sort of just islands amongst themselves. You know, they have families, they live in households. Um, there's a lot going on. You know, it's, it's hard for me to talk about, oh, you should increase your exercise, um, or, or take this medication when, you know, they're worried about, can I feed my kids next week? Uh, and so I, I, I've, I think this just is, is a good reminder of, of those issues and to think more broadly about interventions around sort of individual patient visits um, and thinking about sort of how do you incorporate the family into those interventions. I also think it's helped me sort of think more importantly about how to advocate and support policies in particular that either reduce or eliminate food insecurity. So programs like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, um, the WIC program, and, and actually in the December issue of Health Affairs, there were several uh, articles about many of the programs like the Earned Income Tax Credit, the uh, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families that all have potential to um, lift people out of poverty, um, get them better access to food, and hopefully improve their health. Well, this is such a, uh, I have to say, it's very gratifying to hear you talk about this issue this way. Uh, we certainly hope at Health Affairs that we can expand the horizons of thought and policy relevance to the world of health and medicine um, and help uh People like you see that there are policy approaches that can address the challenges in front of the patients that you're seeing. At the same time, it's really exciting that you, bringing the lens that you have, can uh, improve our ability to make those policies the right ones because you can uh, look at them through the lens of, of, of practice and what will actually support your patients, not just 
what we think will work on a piece of paper. So um, this is sort of exactly why we're here. And and uh, I didn't know that I'd be reaching this point in a conversation when we started, but uh, I, I felt uh, like this is sort of the best of what health services research is about. And uh, it's great to be able to talk to you about that. Uh, let me just ask as we finish up, if you have any sort of next thoughts in this topic. It's not the first work you've done on the subject. And so what questions are sort of on your mind that you hope you'll get to in subsequent work? A couple of different things, ideas that I have sort of moving forward. Um, and I, I was fortunate to work with some great colleagues on this paper that uh, will continue to work on other things moving forward. But again, um, I think uh, a big piece of this is from just an investment standpoint for health systems, health insurers, is showing that benefit on health outcomes. Um, and I think that's where a big part of the, the field is moving to is sort of showing, yes, we do see improved health when we do these interventions. Um, so that, that's 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 a lot large part of what I'm going to be focusing on. I'm particularly interested, since I'm both a, a, a internist and pediatrician around the family unit, and how do we sort of think about sort of family benefits um, I think that's particularly important um, for in pediatrics where, um, you know, a lot of the national pediatric organizations have sort of encouraged and are recommending pediatricians to screen for these um, unmet social needs like food insecurity. Um, but they may not see that sort of short-term benefit in, you know, when funders don't see immediate benefits, they often get a little bit concerned. Um, and while Certainly, there's potentially long-term benefits for children. There may be short-term return on investment for their parents um, if they get better access to resources. Again, something they can share with the whole household. So, so those are two sort of big, big topic areas that I'm thinking about, um, as well as some other things. But yes, um, there's lots of work to be done, and uh, would encourage anybody to 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 help move this field forward. Well, that's great. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your work and your enthusiasm for the topic, for your engagement with your patients and looking at them in family context. That's a refreshing and important uh, perspective. Dr. Pollock Shapa, thank you for being my guest on A Health Policy. Well, thank you so much for having me. And again, uh, a big thank you to my uh, colleagues and co-authors for, for helping move this uh, project forward. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about the health policy.